This is the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mallon, a weekly audio podcast that covers everything sports in the Dayton and Cincinnati, Ohio region. No faffing around, no unnecessary chatter, no focusing on that school in Columbus like other shows, just good, honest, local sports happening in Southwest Ohio, Northern Kentucky, and East Central Indiana. Be sure to bookmark SinDayPod.com for ways to listen and podcast merchandise. Theme song by Kevin McLeod on FreePT.com. Here's your host, Lee W. Mallon. Welcome back to the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, episode 209. Catch the new opening. Well, we're back to talking about local sports, and we start off with the 2021 Cincinnati Reds. So the Cincinnati Reds have already played four series, two in Cincinnati and two away from home sweet home, the dreaded West Coast trip. Well, okay, there's two West Coast trips with the Dodgers and the Padres still to go, but let's not split hairs in the very first minute of this podcast. Let's talk about the Cincinnati Reds. Again, 12 games in, and your Reds are still in first place, tied with the Milwaukee Brewers at 7-5. and five. The Reds, they dropped two series on the West Coast trip, Two out of three to Arizona, and two out of three to San Francisco. And Cincinnati's coming back home tonight, April the 16th, for a three-game series against the Cleveland Indians. So, if you ask the average fan out there, not talking about Reds fans, just the average baseball fan, probably the Reds aren't anywhere near their line of the best team in the National League. I myself said that, Probably not an NL Central title, but, you know, I think the Reds could have a good year. And by good year, I mean third place, maybe even second. The Reds have really come out of the gates strong. And yes, you can make the argument, well, they played the Pittsburgh Pirates in one of those series at home. Sure, but did you see the way Cincinnati played that six-game homestand? Even opening day which it was ice cold for, you know, Midwest weather region reasons. No, the Reds scored six runs. So, yeah, where was this run scoring ability when we needed it last year? In fact, I will go ahead and let you know that Cincinnati in the National League has scored the most runs with 75. And that's tied with the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. The Reds have given up 56 runs, which is the third least or third most in the NL Central. That's right in the middle of the road behind Milwaukee's 39 and the Cubs 52. Whereas St. Louis has given up 63 runs and Pittsburgh 68. In case you're wondering what is the most, it's not the Reds like I mentioned. The least runs allowed would be the New York Mets giving up 26. The most, it looks like, Arizona, 74. Really wish the Reds could have been able to score in that series, but hey, what can you do? So let's 
take a deeper look at the Cincinnati Reds. They're coming back home, currently 5-1 and one at Great American Ballpark with the Cleveland Indians due in town. It'll be Jeff Hoffman on the mound for Cincinnati to start off Friday. And Sonny Gray coming back, his first start of the year, will be Saturday afternoon at 410 Super Saturday, and Eric Davis Funko Pop, which is not a bobblehead. It's those figurines that have like the big rectangle heads. Not a big fan of those, honestly, but that's just me. So the West Coast trip, the Reds won the first game against both Arizona and San Francisco, 6-5 to five and 3 nothing in those series openers. But really, the next two games at Arizona, the Reds only scored three runs whereas Arizona popped in 15. The Reds on the other side, there was that home run crazy game Tuesday where Cincinnati dropped it to San Francisco 7-6, but then San Francisco shut out the Reds with Johnny Cueto coming back to his original form, 3-0. So a little bit better offensively in San Francisco, but both those series, the Reds only mustered nine runs in those three games whereas the Reds given up more runs in the Arizona series at Chase Field. So again, the Reds back home, Cleveland in town for three, and then next week, a series against the Arizona Diamondbacks, which will complete the home-and-home with that team before heading to St. Louis and the Cardinals. Diving deeper into the stats of Cincinnati, again, this is a team that has the most runs scored in the National League, along with the Dodgers. So who's leading the Red squad in hitting? Well, that would be Jonathan India, the second baseman. Really happy to see him just you know, take his opportunity to start with the big league club and really shine. That's a three thirty three batting average for Jonathan India. 12 hits out of 36 at-bats, two extra base hits, a double and a triple with 11 RBI, which is not the top of the team. That would be, looks like Tyler Naquin with 14. And that's a nice pickup for Cincinnati, isn't it? Tyler Naquin, 265, 9-34, and 5 home runs to boot for Cincinnati, which leads the team, one ahead of Nick Castellanos. Yeah, Tyler Naquin, former Cleveland Indian, he was squeezed out of the Outfield scene up there and got a chance here. And yeah, I'd say that's a tremendous pickup for Cincinnati. He'll patrol left field with Tyler Naquin. You also have Nick Castellanos coming back to form. 306 batting average so far. And of course, you know, part of that whole spiel, what was that, the afternoon game where the Reds won the series 12-1, to where Yadier Molina got his... Uh, uh, underwear in a bunch. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, definitely, I love seeing the passion from Castellanos on that. Sure, it might not be the most sportsmanship-like thing you can see on the field, but just, you know, Castellanos doesn't want to lose. He wants the Reds to win. He wants to win. So I definitely appreciate that passion, and hopefully that stays with the Reds the entire season, and this isn't just some false start by Cincinnati's baseball club. You have Mike Moustakas, who's swinging a nice bat himself, 289 batting average, moving over to third base 
as A. Eugenio Suarez batting 205, the shortstop. A little bit of a slow start, but starting to pick it up. However, does have 16 strikeouts against eight walks with four RBI and three doubles, two home runs. So I think Suarez will bounce back. It is nice to see Suarez move over to shortstop. That whole drama of who's going to start at short. I don't know about you. I'm not a big drama fan myself. I just want to see the results. And you know what? So far, so good. I mean, the West Coast trips are rough. I mean, you're, what, three hours behind where games start at 10 o'clock or 9.30 here in Southwest Ohio, and you're 7 o'clock there. So, yeah, I get it. It's a little rough. I mean, there's no excuses, but at the same time, 2-4 and four at least is not 0-6 or 1-5. So the Cleveland Indians are in town. Like I mentioned a couple times, three games to start the Ohio Cup. It's a little weird to see Cleveland in town this early in the season. You know, after, oh, what would that be? After four series. But it will be nice to see this series continue onwards. We'll go ahead and get to the standings quickly, but... So far, I've really enjoyed listening to the Reds on radio. I don't get uh, Valley Sports Ohio, unfortunately, but I've heard a lot of nice things about John Sadak's calling and Barry Larkin joining him, which, absolutely, I mean, someone that loves being part of a team, and definitely, I I hope one day I can hear Sadak call a TV game, because that's definitely needed. And I, I really like... The fact that, you know, he was hired. Nice pedigree coming over from the New York Mets. So, definitely, he's taking his opportunity to shine. Let's talk about the Cleveland Indians. They're currently a half game back of first place in the AL Central behind the 7-4 Kansas City Royals and a game and a half up on the Chicago White Sox, the Detroit Tigers, and the Minnesota Twins, all sitting at a 6-7 and record. So Cleveland comes in. They've scored 46 runs, allowed 36. And away from Progressive Field, the Indians are 3-4. And 1-1 and one and one against teams with an over 500 record. So a little bit more about the Cleveland Indians. As we pull up the stats for you here. I believe that's Logan Allen getting the start. 270 ERA, 1-1. One I don't know why, but the stats from MLB just take you right to like the team stats. I don't want that. I want to see I want to see the actual team. So let's look at the 2021 stats and it is giving me a total of 5 Cleveland Indians. Okay, that is a little bit weird. There we go. So Eddie Rosario currently leads the hitting core for Cleveland, batting 250, 10 of 40, two doubles, two home runs, seven RBI. Your RBI leader for the Cleveland Baseball Club is Vermeil Reyes, the designated hitter. He's batting 233 with his eight RBIs, four home runs, which also leads the Indians, and a pair of doubles. 
Reyes has also struck out the most with 13. Josh Naylor right behind him with 10 strikeouts, batting to 25. So, altogether, the Cleveland Indians looks like the batting averages are a bit low. Like I said, the team leader is Rosario's 250 batting average. You have a player that's played in 10 games and Ben Gamble, the former Milwaukee Brewer. He's yet to get an at-bat, or he's yet to get a hit in his now 13 at-bats with the Indians in his 10 games. He struck out six times in those 13 at-bats. There's a former Fort Wayne tin cap, Austin Hedges, the catcher. Seen a lot of the Fort Wayne tin caps on this, like from El Reyes again. Jordan Luplo, a former Pittsburgh Pirate batting 217 along with Roberto Perez. Yu Chang, uh, when he went through the system with the Lake County Captains, he was known as Yu Ching Chang, but Yu Chang batting 200. So the bats for the Indians haven't turned around the corner, and for Hoffman and Gray and the Sunday pitcher, definitely that's going to be a big thing. Keep the Indians' bats quiet. Let's look at the pitching side of things. And we'll go by... Why does that happen again? We'll go by the lowest ERA. Shane Bieber, another outstanding start. 21 and a third. 11 hits, 5 earned runs. That's all the runs he's earned. 2 home runs. 8 walks, 35 strikeouts. And teams are batting 147 against him. So yeah, Shane Bieber... Definitely a great prospect turned a pro with the Cleveland Indians. Logan Allen, like I mentioned, he's the starter for Cleveland. Two games in, one and one, 270 ERA, 10 innings, three earned runs, seven hits, one home run given up, five walks, eight Ks. Uh, Tristan McKenzie, he's in there, no record in one start, one appearance out of the bullpen, 470 ERA, seven and two-thirds. Four earned runs on four hits, one home run, and 11 strikeouts to six at-bats. The averages against these pitchers aren't bad. I mean, the highest one is Zach Plesek, uh 291. Trevor Steven out of the bullpen, 278. Uh, the highest is actually Nick Whitgren's 333. He's got the highest ERA on the staff at 9.82. So the pitching's not bad for Cleveland. Let's swap in and talk about... The Cincinnati Reds pitching, which coming into the series, right now the bullpen has an ERA of, what did I see from the Inquirer, 470-something? So yeah, under five, not entirely great. But again, the starters, you know, the starters are strong, even without Trevor Bauer. He took that massive deal from the Dodgers, which uh, his deal overspends the Cleveland Indians, which, how do I make that money? Oh, yeah. Probably not going to broadcasting. Oh, I love it when that happens. So let's talk about the Reds pitching once the stats want to load. Here on episode 209 of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast. Again, nice to be talking about sports, local sports. We'll start with Cincinnati. There's a pair of pitchers that have not given up a single run. T.J. Antone out of the bullpen, three appearances, as Alice said, Penn. And Wade Miley, two starts, two victories, 11 innings, four hits, two walks, nine Ks. Antone has a batting average against of 095 
Wade Miley, 108. To say that's outstanding, hmm, yeah, that's outstanding. You also have Carson Fulmer pick up late in spring training from the Pittsburgh Pirates on the waiver wire. He's got a nice 117 ERA, six appearances, just one earned run in six hits, seven and two-thirds. He's walked two, struck out eight. However, his average against is a little bit higher at 222. Still not bad. Still not bad. Your highest average against in the Reds staff is Cam Bedrosian, a former Los Angeles Angel of Los Angeles. He currently has a higher ERA of 9.64, five earned runs, eight hits, four and two-thirds, and his batting average against is 381. Amir Garrett on the other side. Definitely excited to see him as the closer and definitely excited to see his passion. However, it's been a bit of a rocky start for him. Five earned runs, five hits, three innings, two home runs given up, four walks, three Ks, average of 357 against, an ERA of 15. That's the highest on the Reds pitching staff. But two saves on the other side. In fact, one of his home runs was a grand slam against the Pittsburgh Pirates, and that was the game that sealed the sweep in for Cincinnati. So a little bit worrying there, but again, 12 games in, I'm sure Garrett will settle down. That's Amir Garrett after all, you know, count on AG. Sean Doolittle, a new addition to the Reds. He was picked up before spring training. He's got a 386 ERA and a win. Six games out of the pen, four and two-thirds, two earned runs, five hits, one home run given up, two walks, eight Ks, an average of 294. Slightly higher, but he's getting the job done. We look at the starters. Tyler Malley, three games started. He took the loss in the 3-0 defeat at San Francisco to lose the series to the Giants, but one and one. Four earned runs, five runs total, seven hits in 14 innings. 22K, which leads the pitching staff, seven walks. So definitely the pitching, it's a little worrying in the bullpen. Sionel Perez, he's got a high ERA of 8.31, one and one, but a pretty nice spring training. These numbers should go down, and that's what I'm counting on as well. And with Sonny Gray entering the rotation again, I think it's going to get better. Yes, I know, Trevor Bauer with his Cy Young. It would have been nice to have in the starting five, but I don't think the Reds were going to be able to field that type of contract. So Hoffman will enter tonight's game. 1-1, one 386 ERA, his third start. Four earned runs, nine hits, nine a third, with 8K and three walks, and a batting average of 257. He was part of the trade. That brought him in from Colorado. So definitely Hoffman's looking all right as well. So, you know, it's a good start. Is it sustainable, however? That I don't know. I hope it is because we definitely would love a good winner in Cincinnati this summer. But as of right now, it's nice to see some swagger from these Cincinnati Reds. Making the short trip from Great American to Paul Brown Stadium, it's time to talk about the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, no news on player fronts. 
And the draft is this month. Yes, can't wait to see what the Bengals do. I mean, there's a ton of options at pick number five. I'm still hoping Penesul will be a Bengal because, again, the offensive line is the big thing for me. However, actually, I take that back. There is a big player news. Thaddeus Moss was waived by the Washington football team and picked up by Cincinnati. You know what that means? LSU reunion with Joe Burrow. And the times that Burrow targeted Moss at Louisiana State, Moss didn't drop a single pass. Heck yes. I can't wait. And I think Moss has a chance to be tight end one. But we're not talking about that so much today. And we'll have a separate episode for the draft, of course. What I want to talk about are two things. The first one, New Stripes. It's announced that this upcoming Monday will be the debut of the new Bengals jerseys. And I, for one, can't wait. Now, I'm a big logo and jersey nerd, so I like seeing changes. I like seeing new jerseys. I like seeing what the artist can create. The big thing is the helmets are staying put, which I think that's what identifies the Bengals. Now, would it be cool to see, like, a throwback helmet? I mean, yeah. I mean, that's where the organization gods start from. But... You don't mess with the tiger stripes. I know there's a lot of people that want to see like the inverted colors, like it's orange stripes on a black helmet, and some wanted uh, a white helmet, black tiger stripes, to go with the color rush, which also there's bad news on that front. I think color rush is officially dead with the fact that the Bengals front office mentioned that there's only going to be nine combinations, which is three tops, three pants, three socks, which is pretty much broken down to a white jersey, a black jersey, and probably an orange jersey. I I still can't wait, and we'll talk about it in the next episode once those jerseys are released. But the big news to talk about today, after 50-some years of being an organization in Southwest Ohio, there is finally, finally, a ring of honor to bring to the attention the Bengals fans of Great Bengals from the past. The first two names, I think, are a great start to the Ring of Honor. Paul Brown, which was responsible for getting a team back to Cincinnati after Art Modell fired him from the Cleveland Browns. And Anthony Munoz, probably one of the best linesmen the Bengals have ever had. So, definitely two big names there. Hopefully there's more names To the mix, of course, there's going to be more names. You don't just have a ring with two names on it. I mean, come on, that's silly. This is from Jeff Hobson. This is on Bengals.com. He's a senior writer for the website. And he mentions, when it comes to football, Bengals president Mike Brown can tell a pro bowl sorely. Last month, he gave Anthony Munoz his Pro Football Hall of Fame left tackle, the only Bengal in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, which is a crying shame, a tale worthy of a ring of honor. After meeting with Munoz about his foundation, the Vice President Troy Blackburn escorted him into the office of his old boss for what he thought would be one of those pleasant reminiscences. Instead, he discovered that Brown had gathered his family to inform him that the Bengals have created a ring of honor and that Munoz and Paul Brown are the first names on it. Now, if you remember Jeremy Rauch, he's a sports anchor on Fox 19 and Cincinnati WXIX. He was the one, I believe he was the one, that took a picture of the ring 
and said, what's going on here? Is it a possible ring of honor? So, yeah, it's probably the worst kept secret. But you know what? It's it's time. It's time to honor the great Bengals. There's been some great teams in Cincinnati. And yes, you can make fun of the fact that the organization has been cheap. You can make fun of the fact that from 1991 to 2000, we'll go 2004, that the Bengals were pretty much a doormat in the NFL. Sure, you can go with that. You can make fun of the fact that you know the Bengals went 2-14, and 14, or if you're a local talk host, you can say that the Bengals don't deserve Joe Burrow because you think Cincinnati deserves nothing and you just have absolute hatred of the team. You can think that, or you can also share pictures of Bengals getting injured. You can do that too, you know, but it's about time. And this is a great step. I really like what Elizabeth Blackburn has done in our short time, bringing these ideas, I think the future is Brighton, Cincinnati. And that's not me saying it because I'm a Bengals fan. I mean, look, we got a great quarterback in Joe Burrow. I think he's going to be elite as long as the Bengals can protect him with an offensive line. I think that Joe Mixon is due for a great year, especially with Frank Pollock coming back and, you know, getting the run game as it is. I am a little sad that Giovanni Bernard will not be in the mix, but he did sign a one-year deal with Tampa Bay, so he is still in the league, and I'm happy for him. I mean, he did lead... What was it? Did he lead the league in receptions by a running back? I'm pretty sure that's correct. So on with the article. Anthony Munoz says, Very humbling, but very exciting. I was here 10 years with PB. The longer you're out of the game, the more you learn and understand what the guy did for the game. It's amazing. You're talking every day he was around. I don't think there was a day until he got sick that he wasn't around. Every trip, every day of camp. That says something. That's tell, That tells you how much Paul Brown was involved with the Bengals. And losing him, oh, that hurt. That really hurt. To know I had a chance to spend 10 of my 13 years around him every day was amazing. Now you get a chance to go into this ring of honor with him, and it's pretty cool. It's really exciting. It's an honor, Munoz says. The organization has had some amazing, amazing players over the 50-plus years of existence. I think this is great because now we get to celebrate all the guys, and that's what it's all about. So, again, Anthony Munoz and Paul Brown. If you don't have those names on the ring of honor, do you really have a ring of honor? Now it's time to talk about whatever Bengals go in the ring. Ken Anderson, yeah. Forrest Gregg, leading the Bengals to the first Super Bowl, yeah. Sam White, the second, yes. I think those are good names. I think, you know, Icky Woods, definitely a big name there. Chad Johnson, probably one of the most recent names. But, uh, yeah. I mean, the dude lives and breathes Cincinnati. Yes, he had that year with New England, but it just it wasn't the same. Chad Johnson screamed. Cincinnati, especially that one year he did he own or was he a player with the Cincinnati Jungle Cats? That was a Arena Football 2 team that lasted one year and they won 1 in 15. It wasn't a very good year. But I forget if it was the owner or just a player. I think he owned that team too. But nevertheless, definitely a Cincinnati and, and definitely he, he always sells Cincinnati. He's trying to sell Joe Burrow on his McDonald's diet, but uh, Joe Burrow's not quite biting into that. Yeah, put that dude in the ring of honor. 
He deserves it. That dude brought people's attention to Cincinnati. So put him on there. Um, I mentioned Ken Anderson. Uh, Boomer Esiason. Yeah, I think I think that'd be a worthy name into the mix. There's tons of names that we can go through all this podcast. I mean, we could spend a lot more time talking about, you know, some deserving names. Isaac Curtis in the mix. Yeah, definitely. But this is a great start. Now, there's an inaugural class of four, meaning there's two more names that's going to be announced at a game. So we got to wait until the fall for that. But season ticket members are able to vote to select two more legends to join Paul Brown and Anthony Munoz, the game's greatest left tackle. And the franchise founder, Paul Brown, who professionalized football, really did a great job with Cleveland Browns, did a great job with the Maslin Tigers, did a great job with that school in Columbus, and did a great job building the Cincinnati Bengals. And I know this has got to be a proud moment for Mike Brown. Yes, I know, he's an easy target, and he's targeted a lot in Cincinnati, but think about it, you know? His his dad, he looked up to his dad, I bet. And he's trying his best to bring Bengals in. And yes, again, you can make fun of the fact the Bengals are cheap. You can make fun of what I just said. But you know what? For a guy that owns the team and still reads all the letters addressed to him, I mean, that's... I don't know of any owners that do that. But... Yes, definitely, I think it's about time there's a ring of honor... And I'm very, very excited to see this grow. It's needed for Cincinnati Bengals football. It's needed for Cincinnati. And it's definitely a great addition to Paul Brown Stadium. Who are the other two names? We'll find out as the year progresses, friends. So those that follow along on social media, listen to the podcast, or just know me in general, know that I love Dayer Ballpark. I think it's a great addition to downtown Dayton, and just my two games there with TKDS Sports, man, that place has changed. It's weird to know that the last time I stepped foot there was 2019, the apartments were still under construction, and Mendelssohn still existed. As you might not know, Mendelssohn's was kind of like a business where you could buy stuff. They had a lot of like department store signs. Like they had like Myers old signs from 1990 and stuff. I mean, we're talking old stuff there. I think they might have had an Elder Beerman sign, a Lazarus sign in there. And then Mendelssohn's, you have a lot of ins and outs and a lot of like it's it's like a warehouse. I, I guess that's probably the best way. To describe it, Mendelssohn's is now gone and the building is going to be converted into a hotel, I believe. So, more renovations around Dayer Ballpark. So, let me tell you about my first two experiences back at the ballpark. I mean, I, I loved it. I got to broadcast two high school games, which we'll touch on a little bit, but just being able to get back into the baseball stadium is huge. And in fact, later tonight, this Friday night, 
the Dayton Flyers will take on the George Mason Patriots, and yours truly will be on the public addressers chair. So, very excited. So, some of the changes in the press box in the control room. There is plexiglass hung from the ceiling between each seat, which, you know, that's to be expected. I looked in the official scores room, and the sheet kind of hangs over my computer, which, uh, yeah, that'll be fine. You know, I, I get it. So there are precautions taken, which, you know, most people don't get to see that. I mean, they do take tours around there, yes, but you know what I mean. And just looking at the field, I mean, it's fantastic. Most of the new logos are up. The one over the scoreboard isn't. I am proud to say, though, the dragons that were starting to kind of peel and flake because of the sun, they have been repainted, so it looks really sharp out there. So definitely, it's great to be back at Dayar Ballpark, and hopefully I get more chances. I will get at least three, again, Dayton Flyers tonight against George Mason, and next Saturday, starting at 10 a.m., bright and early, Dayton will take on St. Louis in a doubleheader. So definitely excited for that. Definitely excited to announce that day or ballpark again. But some of the changes outside the field, I mentioned the new logos and everything are mostly up. But the apartments are done. And they reflowed the or they readjusted the flow of Sears Street. Now it's a one way only street, which eh isn't terribly great, but if you're leaving from you know Sears on the other side towards second, then that's not so bad. You got a right only turn. But there's a local cantina on the bottom floor of the center field flats at Water Street, although that's not Water Street. I think I mentioned that in one of the broadcasts. More on that later. But people live there and they get to see a baseball game, but they're facing the West, which that's awesome. I mean, you get a pretty nice view there of Dayton Dragons baseball and high school baseball. There was a YouTube, or excuse me, there was a Twitter user that shared a picture of that, and it's just, it's amazing. Very expensive, but amazing nonetheless. Too rich for my blood, let's say that. So those are some of your changes. Uh, there are uh, directional arrows down the concourse where you can go one way and, you know, the flow of traffic like that, kind of like what Walmart did and everything before... Well, the one near our apartment, they just gave up on that. So, But it is nice to see the new changes in for J.R. Ballpark. So the two games that I got to do thus far on TKDS Sports, there was a Southwest Southwestern Buckeye League Buckeye Division battle between the Preble Shawnee Arrows and the Dixie Greyhounds, where Preble Shawnee won 10 to nothing, And last night's game was... Fairborn and Edgewood, a non-conference game. It was one nothing Fairborn after the first. The Skyhawks load the bases up with no outs and got one run. That was it. Edgewood took the lead with runs in the third and fourth. Excuse me, third and fifth. And then Fairborn would come back in the bottom of the sixth to tie it, then take the lead, and then win it against Edgewood. That was a tough loss for the Cougars to take, but well played and a lot of fun to call. And hopefully if you, you know, watched it, a lot of fun to follow along as well. It was a lot of fun for me to, you know, really get a chance to broadcast it. 
And like I said, getting back to Dayall Ballpark is awesome. And going back a third straight time tonight, I, I'm I'm just as excited as I was on Wednesday getting ready for my first call. So we talked about high school ball. Well, talked a little bit about the two games I called. There's still plenty of high school ball to go to, except this time, instead of walking in the gate for free, you have to purchase your tickets. And that's to kind of help control you know, the population at Dayer Ballpark. Population, I mean the attendance, not population. People live there. Although, I mean, one day if Dayer Ballpark ever became, you know, a abandoned and the dragons moved somewhere else in Dayton. I never see that happening, but you know, you can turn those into apartments. That'd be pretty cool. Where was it in Japan? There's a, a major league baseball stadium and it's turned into like its own village, which I thought was really cool, but nevertheless. So we talked about high school ball. We talked about the Dayton flyers getting a chance to play collegiate ball there, but who have we missed? that play at Dara Ballpark. Ah, yes, the Dayton Dragons. And yes, the Dragons will be resuming action. However, it's going to be a month later. I think May 12th is the season opener. Now, there hasn't been any news yet on the Dayton Dragons roster. Remember, the Dragons are now advanced A, not low A. So, I tracked down... Doug Gray on RedsMinorLeagues.com, and he has an article about the first draft of the Reds Minor League roster projections. With the jump from single A to advanced A, not much changes. I mean, Daytona's now your single A, and Dayton's your advanced A. You go to Chattanooga next for double A, and then Louisville is still your triple A. No rookie ball, nothing like that. It's just A, Advanced A, Double A, Triple A, Reds. So his draft for Dayton, here are the following people that's going to start with the Advanced A club. Now there might be a few names you recognize from Dayton Dragons past in Single A, but let's begin. Let's start with those familiar names. You remember outfielder Brian Ray? He started to turn it on late... God, when was that? 20... I feel like he was part of the 2017 team. Might be 2018 at this point. But he is projected to go to advanced day. If you're wondering why, you know, some of the players are still stuck in A after, you know, a couple years, not everyone's path through the Meyer Leagues is the same. Your average is about a year in each step. If you're above average, you might go up a step, or if you get like emergency call to you know help fill in a role, that might happen. But mostly, you spend a year in your class. So again, that's not always the case. If you struggle a bit, you might stick around next year, and then once you improve, you go up a class. Or there's also the ultimatum of if you don't really pan out, you're released. Plain and simple. There's also trades as well and everything, but let's tell you about the familiar names coming back to Dayton. One of them is Mariel Bautista, an outfielder. Brian Ray, I mentioned, is an outfielder. Starting pitcher, Lion Richardson. 
He's one of the youngest starters with Dayton back in 2019. Connor Curlis, he played his summer collegiate ball, I believe with the Champion City Kings. I believe that's correct. And that's going Columbus. He's part of the starting rotation. Jacob Heverly, a left-hander. He was injured early in the season back in 2019. Eduardo Zalazar, I believe, is the same Zalazar I remember coming out of the bullpen. He's listed as a starting pitcher. And now for the unfamiliar names. At catcher, you have Eric Yang, Leo Seminati, the first baseman, Ivan Johnson at second, Victor Ruiz at third, Miguel Hernandez at short, Trying to remember if Miguel Hernandez played as a dragon. I that name doesn't ring a bell, but I could be wrong. TJ Hopkins in the outfield. Alex McGarry in the outfield. I mentioned Lion Richardson. Noah Davis. Graham Ashcraft is part of your starting rotation, which would give Dayton six starters. The six starters normally your long reliever out of the bullpen if the starters can't make it or are injured. Or, you know, there's a doubleheader, which there might be this year. You never know. Some more familiar names as we continue on. Nothing in Daytona. If you follow the draft, Reese Hines is scheduled to be with the Tortugas. I believe Alan Serta was drafted there. Quinn Cotton. Uh, I, I don't see A.J. Bumpus. I wonder if he was part of the whole cutting down of the rosters when... MILB lost all those teams. But again, this is a draft that's, this is not set in stone. This is just, hey, you know, here's some names that might be in your team. Here's some names that are still in the minor league system. Catcher Mark Colesbury will most likely be with Chattanooga. You have Alejo Lopez at second, Brantley Bell at third, Jose Garcia scheduled to be at Chattanooga, which that surprised me. I figure he would be up in Louisville, but right now it's Alfredo Rodriguez with the bats. Mark Payton, Narciso Crook with the AAA club. Uh, Vladimir Gutierrez, a starter with the bats. Tony Santion also there. Nick Lodolo is scheduled to be at Chattanooga. That's AA. Hunter Green, too. Matt Pidich listed as a starting pitcher. Normally he was the closer. For the Dragons a couple years back. TJ Frito in the outfield. Michael Ciani. And Lorenzo Cedrola. With Dwight Smith Jr. So again. This is not finalized. In fact this roster could be. Quite. Changed. Before. The start of the season. Which we're running. Under a month to go. Which I can't wait to. See the Dragons team. We'll have an episode talking about all the Dragons once that is released. These are educated guesses by Doug Gray, DougDirt24 on Twitter. I almost called him Doug Dirt just because I know his Twitter name. I'm sorry about that, Doug. So he mentions in his notes a few players with a lot of versatility. You know, excuse me, Lopez can play anywhere in the infield. Brian Ray can be infield, outfield type of guy. He could be moved off the starters list to make a spot open for someone. Vladimir Gutierrez is at the alternate side in Louisville with the Reds team. That's why he's in AAA there. Uh, 
And also, his suspension time is being served before the actual start of the season because right now it's just, you know, your alternate site teams that aren't quite ready for the major leagues. Something like that. And Sonny Gray did recover there as well. So I cannot wait to see what the Dayton Dragons will have. And again, we'll have an individual episode talking about who will be a Dayton Dragon. But for now, that's all your happenings at Dayer Ballpark. Don't forget to visit DaytonDragons.com if you want to purchase tickets to watch high school uh, baseball teams there. I was going to say high school sports. Like, yeah, you can watch like wrestling there and stuff. Actually, how would that work? I'd love to see that, actually. But, yeah, they are ballpark heating things up again, and it's great to see in downtown Dayton. And to close out this episode... Let's talk about the start of the 2021 Major League Soccer season. This podcast, again, focuses on FC Cincinnati. And I think you can figure out the reason why, you know, because this is the local Cincinnati and Dayton sports podcast, but also the Columbus crew. The big reason for that is the fact that once upon a time, FC Cincinnati didn't exist. And then they were in the USL and then became members of MLS, and I didn't think it was fair just to stop talking about the crew, you know, for those that do like hearing me talk about the MLS team in Central Ohio. So we'll start with FC Cincinnati. This will be the third year in the top ladder of professional soccer in the United States. And to say the last two years in Cincinnati haven't been kind to the soccer team, well, you're putting it way too mildly. The last two years have kind of stunk for FC Cincinnati. And altogether, the history, FC Cincinnati put together some really good teams in USL. In fact, go back to the Open Cup where FC Cincinnati took down the Columbus Crew and the Chicago Fire and almost took down the New York Red Bulls. But it just hasn't transferred over, which it makes a lot of sense. It's two different animals, minor league soccer and major league soccer. See how that works? So the source of the preview is from Cincinnati Soccer Talk. They do a nice job covering pretty much professional soccer in Cincinnati. And this is from Clay Winstead talking about the preview against old rival Nashville SC. This will be the second year in MLS for Nashville and FC Cincinnati's third. But the rivalry actually starts back in December 2017 the commissioner, Don Garber, announced Nashville would become the next expansion team before Cincinnati. And what that turned out to be, Cincinnati would eventually get an expansion team and just shuffled across where Nashville last year was the first time hitting the pitch for Nashville SC. So again, FC Cincinnati finished last both years in the MLS, only scoring 12 goals. Jabstam inspired some good defense with several clean sheets, but the big fix needed was up front offense. 
You can't go through an entire season only scoring 12 goals. That's not how anything works. Gerald Niekamp went to work and ended up spending the fifth highest amount of money in the international winter transfer window behind only European top flight West Ham United, Ajax, Manchester United, and RB Leipzig, according to Transfer Market. That's Market Pavon E, mind you. So that's the top American team spending money in the international winter transfer window, which doesn't necessarily mean, oh, hey, you spent a lot of money. Guess what? You're better. No. Although, you know, most teams that do that would probably be better if that happened. Now, would they? So spending a money might help, but it really just depends how the product gels at the West End Stadium, which, by the way, yes, FC Cincinnati's playing in the new stadium, and their first home match, I believe, is May. We'll check on that a little bit. So a lot of off-season work was done for FC Cincinnati. FC Cincinnati brought in New York City FC left-back Ronald Matarita, Brazilian striker Brenner, and former D.C. United attacking midfielder Luciano Acosta. Ten new players moving on from 13 others. So, FC Cincinnati, you know, drastic change, trying to get some progress going. Frankie Amaya is probably the biggest departure. He did get traded just last week. So Nashville on the other side. Last year wasn't too bad for an expansion team. They're looking to build on the momentum from 2020. They signed veteran CJ Sapong and winger Rodrigo Pinheiro. But... The winter was marked by consistency. Gary Smith's in his fourth year with Nashville. And the core of the team that advanced to the MLS Cup semis is still intact. So that's still a good product that Nashville SC is going to bring. And especially going to Nashville, that's going to be pretty tough. Nashville SC is pretty tough on defense. Walker Zimmerman and company just allowed 22 goals, which is third best last year. And they're also looking to add on offense as well. They signed 25-year-old Venezuelan striker. And I'm probably going to butcher this name. So, Michael, if you're listening to this, text me if I butcher too many names, please and thank you. With Jander Cadiz last September, who made seven appearances, scoring two goals. He's expected to lead Nashville SC up front and could prove more prolific with a full preseason and more opportunities. Also, they're going to lean Nashville on Hanny Mukhtar and Alex Moyle to create chances from the counters. So the game plan for Nashville might not be the most attractive soccer, but hey, it works. And sometimes, you know, it doesn't need to be the most attractive. They were pretty susceptible in transition last year and still looked Pretty vulnerable in that category in preseason. FC Cincinnati might be better in possession, but Nashville won't hesitate to take advantage if the play is too aggressive. 
So Acosta needs to have a big game against Nashville SC, depending on how Stam uses Matarita and Joseph Claude Gayou. Both are better playing up the field and helping on offense. If that happens, Nick Haglund and Tom Peterson will have a lot of ground to cover if FC Cincinnati loses the ball. And what Clay is predicting is a draw between these two teams to open up 2021. There's a nice graphic of stats here showing that Nashville is better scoring than FC Cincinnati. FC Cincinnati also let up 0.6 more goals than Nashville. So I'm excited to see what FC Cincinnati has brought to the table. And I think, you know, it should be a pretty good game. Now, if you want to catch FC Cincinnati at Nashville, they're playing at Nissan Stadium in Tennessee at 8.30 on Saturday. If you're in Cincinnati, tune in to Star 64. If you're in the region, the video stream is available at fccincinnati.com slash stream. Out of region, you got ESPN Plus, which is $5 a month and a lot more reliable than Flow Sports ever was. If you want to listen on the radio, it's on ESPN 1530, which is nice to see. Not sure if the WDJO radio package is still a thing, but again, it's on local radio, 1530 ESPN Cincinnati. Also, you can pick it up on the iHeartRadio app. So definitely, you have a chance to catch FC Cincinnati at Nashville SC. It's on Star 64 in Cincinnati. Outside that, it's on ESPN+. Plus, or you can watch it online, fccincinnati.com slash stream. Let's click on that link. Fans in the Cincinnati DMA, which is the metro area, as, round, as well as the surrounding areas of Dayton, Lexington, Louisville, and many towns in between, can watch all non-national broadcasts for free. Matches will become active for viewing when the broadcast production starts. So, for you Daytonians that are FC Cincinnati fans, you can watch it for free. You don't need ESPN+. Plus. Which, you know what, let's look at the zip code. Let's find out together. Four, five. Oh, wait, I'm not supposed to tell you. Oh, it looks like the streaming option is ESPN+. Plus, which doesn't make sense because that's in the entirety of Montgomery County. That is weird. What if... I wish I knew what Cincinnati... I think 236 is one. Yeah, Cincinnati, you got FCCincinnati.com. So, you might want to check, see if you got ESPN Plus or FCCincinnati.com for free. Uh, said that surrounding areas of Dayton were included, but uh, apparently Kettering is not. Kettering being, you know, a southern suburb of Dayton. In between Dayton and Cincinnati. But never mind. It's, it's, I, I don't like talking about the whole thing, but just blackouts and everything. Just let's watch the game, you know? Now we swing over to Columbus. How did Columbus do last year? Oh, they just won the MLS Cup, the trophy, against Seattle by shutting him out 3-0. You know, 
nothing too fancy. Just, no, all seriousness, the crew had an impeccable season. And it looks like Caleb Porter's due for another one. So, should be interesting, although the early guesses for the championship are giving it to Los Angeles Football Club. Just a shade more votes on that category compared to the crew, but Columbus should have another great year. And the preview by Tom Bogert on MLSsoccer.com. Yes, I realize the website is Major League Soccer Soccer, but we'll talk about that later. The reigning MOS Cup champs are well-positioned for continued success. Led by Zalarayan, Darlington Nagby, Zardis, and others, the team got even better and deeper this winter while keeping the cup-winning core. And also, Columbus Crew will have a new stadium to open up July 3rd, so not quite as quick as FC Cincinnati, which, by the way, in case you are Curious on that. It still dumbfounds me. Kettering is not part... Eh, never mind. The first home match is May 16th, Sunday at 4 at the West End Stadium. FC Cincinnati will have three matches on the road before coming home. So both Ohio teams getting new stadiums. That's pretty cool. With all the talent and depth, expect the crew to make a run in the CONCIEF Champions League and not miss a bit to start MLS play. Now, Columbus starts Sunday, I believe. This is a team that finished third in the Eastern Conference with 41 points. 12-6-5 record. Again, shutting out the Sounders 3-0 in the Cup to hoist the trophy. There's a really nice preview here. Kevin Molino is widely regarded as the top free agent on the market. And Columbus took him in. A career year last year, nine goals, four assists, then four goals in three playoff matches. Figures to jump in the starting 11 opposite Pedro Santos. One ad that I really like, this is probably one of my favorite players in MLS to watch, is Bradley Wright Phillips. The league's sixth all-time leading scorer, someone who just had eight goals and six assists and only 1,084 minutes last year. The crew's backup center forward. Depth piece. You're having one of the most prolific scores in MLS as a depth piece. I wish other teams had that problem. You know, FC Cincinnati. He'd probably be in the starting 11 with the orange and blue. Let's not split hairs. And Alexandru Matan, a Romanian youth international... He's another addition to the deep attack, a number 10, who can also operate from the wing, giving Porter plenty of options to rotate and rest the star-studded starting group. So the big loss from the crew is Jonas Mokhtar, the only semi-regular player to depart from the cup-winning team. And last year, nine regular season starts, didn't appear in the playoffs. So maybe not that big of a loss. The projected 11 for the crew Molino, Zardes, and Santos your three strikers up top with Zalarian in the middle Artur and Nagby in the middle. It looks to be a 2-2-2-1-3 which I know that's pretty much 4-2-1-3 
Wormgore and Mensa are your backs with Valenzuela and Afool. And Room is your goalie. There are four goalkeepers along with Evan Bush, Eric Dick, and Matt Lampson. Your defenders, Afool, Waylon Francis, Marlon Hairston, Abubakar Akita, which I'm not entirely sure if that was Lalus Abubakar from the Dayton Flyers. Sounds familiar, but I could be wrong on that. Grant Lilliard, Jonathan Mensa, Milton Valenzuela, Josh Williams, Vito Warmgore. So nine defenders there. Your 11 midfielders are Artur, Luis Diaz, Derek Ettening Jr., Perry Kitchen. That's a great last name, Kitchen. Alexandru Matam, we talked about. Kevin Molino, Aiden Morris, Darlington Nagby, Isaiah Parenti, Pedro Santos, and Zellerayan. Your forwards, Miguel Berry, Bradley Wright Phillips, and Zardes. When the crew were healthy, best team in MLS. And even when they were unhealthy, still posed a record-setting win and got themselves a cup. A style and ideology, and are at least too deep in every position with guys that can execute. Weakness, the author, again, in Tom Bogert, I don't think they have one. You can make the argument with the best players subbed off, it's a different team, which, you know, that makes sense. That's for everyone, really. They're a different and much lesser team when Zellerayan sits, but the team is worse when their best player isn't available, which that's... Apply that to every team that plays any sport in the world, and that's the same thing. So, stay healthy is the biggest thing. If you want to force him to make up a weakness, he'll say he's not totally convinced the top end is quite as high as full-strength LAFC or Portland, since those teams have more match winners. But that's not really a weakness. That's just a strength that possibly is not quite as strong as the other top-tier contenders. There are a lot of picks for first for Columbus in the East, and there's two picks for second. So yeah, Columbus should be strong again. Now let's take a look at the season opening schedule. We slide down to today, April 16th. That's when the season begins. But if the Ohio teams aren't playing, does that really count? Nah. Okay, it does. You get what I'm saying. The first two regular season games will be at BBVA Stadium, Houston versus San Jose. And at Lumen Field, it's Minnesota United going against the Seattle Sounders. You can watch Houston San Jose on ESPN Plus. You can watch Seattle Minnesota on FS1 or Fox Deportes. Tomorrow, April 17th, we'll have Montreal, or excuse me, CF Montreal, formerly Montreal Impact. They went a change in the offseason. They'll take on Toronto at DRV PNK Stadium. Orlando City against Atlanta at Exploria Stadium. At the Bank of California Stadium, it is Anthony Precourt teaming up with Matthew McConaughey for some reason. Going against LAFC. So yeah, 
This might have been the year that Columbus crew vanished from Central Ohio. And as someone that likes the crew, my thoughts to pre-court are this. Let me move the mic a little bit because it's probably going to get loud. There you go. DC United has New York City FC at Audi Field. At Toyota Stadium, it's FC Dallas against Colorado. New York Red Bulls take on Sporting Kansas City at Red Bull Arena. At Soldier Field, the Chicago Fire. I really wish they'd go back to their old logo because the new one just, no, it doesn't look great. Going against the New England Revolution. Many people want New England to get a new logo. I personally am okay with it. I, I like it. It screams soccer. It also screams 90s, but hey, we're not going to split hairs. And there's FC Cincinnati against Nashville SC at Nissan Stadium. Sunday, you have Miami finally getting a team after, you know, 10 billion trillion years from David Beckham saying, oh, we're going to have a team in Miami. At DRV PNK Stadium against the LA Galaxy. The Columbus Crew will host the Philadelphia Union at Moffray Stadium. On the schedule on MLSsoccer.com, it says Historic Crew Stadium, which uh, I do have to check on that if they change the name, or else that's totally wrong. That's weird. How would you get that wrong? Unless I'm wrong, and they did change the name from Moffray to Historic Crew Stadium. There's a link for Downtown Stadium. And once the crew leave, it's going to turn into the Ohio Health Performance Center. I believe that's the plans right now. Let's look, look at this schedule from... No, it is called the Historic Crew Stadium. I missed that. Interesting. So it's no longer Moffray Stadium. Okay. Anyway, back to the schedule. That's my fault. I apologize. Columbus hosts Philadelphia Sunday at... 5.30. And that's going to be on FS1 and Fox Deportes. Which I believe that means no ESPN Plus stream. However, let's look to see. You can listen on radio at 97.1 The Fan. They do a great job with Columbus Sports. With the Blue Jackets, the Crew, uh, the Destroyers. Well, now it's the Wild Dogs. Which uh, I'm not a big fan of that name. But hey, it is unique. So I will not... Start bitching about that. It's also on FS1 and Fox Deportes. Don't think it's on local TV. And I don't think it's on ESPN+. Plus. So, there you go. That's your opening weekend of MLS soccer back in the United States. Should be a great year for the crew, and I'm hoping to see a much improved FC Cincinnati team. But as of right now, got to wait to see the product on the pitch. And that will do it. That's episode 209. It's great to get back to talk local sports. There is one thing I wanted to address from last episode about the future of Wright's Day Athletics. I want to clear things up in case people think that I did you know, contradict myself. And this is brought to my attention from fellow Wright State grad Drew Dixon, also former WWSUR. That's the radio station of Wright State. He mentioned that while I agree that, you know, athletics bring more butts to a university, 
it really hasn't happened like that for Wright State, which that's correct. I th- agree with the thought that, you know, if you advertise athletics enough, they will come. Will that happen to Wright State being a mid-major? Uh, I mean, that's one thing I... I love Wright State, and again, I think the athletics department do a great job of what they have. Just the one thing I wish I'd see more is advertise it. You know, Wright State is one of two Division I teams in the Dayton area. And I think, you know, maybe people don't realize Wright State have sports. Again, Wright State is a commuter school. Advertise this to the commuters. Make it where they want to come to the games. You know, for me, myself, most of my best moments either involve the radio station or hanging out with folks at athletic events. In fact, probably one of the most unprofessional of things uh, we uh, chanted, uh, this is freshman year, uh, before I started really broadcasting a lot, we chanted, um, we were loud in that student section. And uh, Butler uh, was in town at Alumni Field. So the guy throwing it in rubbed his butt cheeks at us. <laughs> Just showed disrespect. And I think that match, too, Butler scored from uh, the opening kick. So definitely a lot of fun time there. That's some of my best moments, athletics. Again, I realize not everyone's going to like sports. That's perfectly fine. But to kind of uncontradict myself I agree with the thing that yes if you advertise it right athletics can bring bodies into university is that a key formula all the way for every institution no but I do agree that athletics bring more people in it's just figuring out how to do that so again thank you to Drew Dixon for bringing that up and you know, I, I, I thought he was trolling me on that, but then I thought, eh, you know, I really didn't talk about it. So let me clear that up. Thank you, Drew. Hopefully you listen in to more episodes as we continue to cover local Cincinnati and Dayton sports. It's not on Dayton Radio, although it should be. This is the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast, episode 209, signing off. And hopefully we have another episode next week. Talk to you then again. UD's playing at Dayer Ballpark tonight and Saturday morning. Next Saturday morning, rather. And 210 will be up next. Hopefully next week. This is Lee W. Mound signing off. Thanks for joining me here on the Cincinnati Dayton Sports Podcast. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Cincinnati and Dayton Sports Podcast with Lee W. Mowen. Be sure and bookmark SindayPod.com, the official website of the local Sunday Sports Podcast. From there, you can find your favorite way of listening to future episodes on platforms such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Pandora, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and more. You can also find the Redbubble and Tee Public shops there too, where all podcast merchandise purchases go to help the podcaster. Follow on social media at Sunday Pod and the Lead W Mowen on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. This closing theme was created with the Splash app. 
This is Lee W. Mallon saying thank you again for listening, and we'll talk more local Cincinnati and Dayton, Ohio sports next time.